Hello, and welcome to the Fantastically Terrible Podcast, episode 34, The Green Man Around the World. We're going to put on our Indiana Jones outfit and travel the globe searching for the Green Man. He's a superstar from Scotland to ancient Egypt and everywhere in between. We'll travel around the world and put a pin in each stop along the way. If you enjoy learning about the Green Man and other folklore, please give us a like and subscribe. We also have a special announcement. We're going to start uploading a new podcast and related video every two weeks. We've been posting every week, but since Susie puts so much effort into the research, writing, and producing the videos, we're short on time. If we see the subscriptions are up, we'll definitely go back to once a week. But for now, we'll go on with the show. wrong to say that the green man has time traveled over centuries and trekked throughout the world. I'm not exaggerating when I say that the green man has mysterious origins. I was looking for a timeline, but that didn't really happen. Instead, I found something perhaps even better, a mythological symbol which has endured from ancient times to the present day. Most people can agree that the symbol represents life, nature, and renewal. This means that the green man has done exactly what it represents. It has been renewed and reborn for countless generations. It's truly astounding. His origins may be unknown, and what he originally represented may be lost to us, but he's still here in all his leafy goodness. The origin of the name Green Man can be traced to Lady Raglan. In 1939, she applied the name Green Man in her article, The Green Man in Church Architecture, in the Folklore Journal. She did not invent the term, but she was the first to publish it. She used it to describe a common architectural motif. In general, there are two distinctive types of Green Man. The first is a leafy mask, where there is a face obscured by leaves, leaving only the eyes and mouth visible. The second is a face in which leaves grow out of the nose or mouth. These are sometimes described as disgorging masks. In her article, she concluded, quote, This figure, I am convinced, is neither a figment of the imagination nor a symbol, but is taken from real life. And the question is whether there was any figure in real life from which it could have been taken. The answer, I think, is that there is but one sufficient importance. The figure variously known as the Green Man, Jack and the Green, Robin Hood, the King of May, and the Garland King, who is the central figure in the May Day celebrations throughout Northern and Central Europe. And we'll have a link to that if you want to read her original article. Uh, and she's been criticized a lot because she was trying to say that the symbol came after those, like the Jack and the Green, Robin Hood, all of those figures in folklore. But the green man, meaning the mm -hmm. mask, you know, the motif is much, much older. But she didn't know that at the time. So when did the green man become a rock star? <laughs> no, reach his height. <laughs> reach his height. The Middle Ages was probably the height of popularity. His rock star status. Rock star status. Awesome. In the 13th and 14th centuries, that's when medieval churches often had this motif. And this was found all over Europe. Right. So you're not a rock star back then if you don't make it into church. 
Yeah, that's right. That was like the rock guitar magazine, was, uh... the uh, Rolling Stone. <laughs> you know, you'd be in the churches. Right. It was also a time when the symbol took on darker tones. Mm. So it was a little bit influenced by Christianity. It was no longer just the image of nature and renewal. Right. It also became an ominous symbol that perhaps uh, represented demons, uh, the darker side. Always the darker side. Right, right. Like the side that tempts you. Because Mm. along with all the nature imagery Mm. is the wild unfettered nature (laughs) it could be okay we'll get into bacchus dionysus a little later it's true but even on um a less exaggerated scale to Mm -hmm. be free right and free from the confinements of mores and social mores in the church okay so that's always seen as bad always always seen as bad always bad so that's what I find with the symbol that's very interesting. You have nature and renewal, you have life and death, but you always have a play of freedom and liberty. Mm-hmm. There's one place in particular, Roslyn Chapel in Scotland, that has over 100 green men inside and out. Some are easy to spot, while others are hidden away from view. They only discovered some of these while doing conservation work. Mm. And some of them are very, very high up in the top, the towers, the spires at the top of the chapel. wonder if they were just trying to keep it away from the priests. <laughs> They'll never see it here. I don't know. I don't know. But it is quite impressive. Uh, and I'll have links, of course, to everything in the episode, mm-hmm. including lots of pictures from Rosalind Chapel. And most of the faces have the disgorging leaves or vines coming from the nose or mouth. But there are a few of the more classic foliate heads where okay. his eyes and his mouth are showing and the rest are obscured. And on rosalindchapel.com, I have a little quote that I thought was amusing. We have smiling men, scowling men, men bearing savage looking teeth and something that we think is quite unique to us. Green men that age as you walk around the building. We have what we call our green boy, such as youthful face, then the adult bearded man, and finally one or two green skeletons. So this might explain why people feel that the green man represents the passage of life, birth, living, death, and renewal. That's interesting because, you know, I never pictured foliage to have skeletons. Yeah, it's a little bit funny. They're also animals. They have like owl green men. There are a few animals. Owl, owl, that's owl right. green men. And or wouldn't they are... be green owls? Sure, the green owl, that's mm. right. Sounds like a brand of breakfast cereal. And there are a few, although rare, green women. The green woman. And they do have one in Roslyn Chapel as well. Interesting. Yeah, I guess in the medieval period, they're not going to allow women. One of the oldest gods of birth, death, and resurrection is Osiris. 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 So we're reaching into the Wayback Machine. Wayback. Osiris was the first pharaoh of Egypt. He was the god of fertility, agriculture, and after his death, the underworld and resurrection. After Osiris was murdered by his brother Set, Isis and Anubis performed the first Egyptian embalming to prepare Osiris for the afterlife. However, he was reborn in the land of the dead. A bit of a, yeah. So she was trying to bring him back to life after he was murdered. 
they did succeed, but his back to life was in the underworld. Underworld, not mm-hmm. in this world. Yeah, that's right. But before he departed, Isis had sex with him and became pregnant with Oris, the falcon-headed god. Osiris is often depicted with green skin. I thought that was really interesting. Yes. And if you're watching the video version of this, I have a lot of images that I found on the Louvre Museum here in Paris. They have their entire collection, from what I understand, online. Yeah. And I just had fun going through lots of images, and I picked out images of Osiris with green skin. Probably a lot of things. Are, oh, yeah, there's lots. Probably a lot of things that, because we were just the, just there, mm-hmm. and there's probably a lot of things that are just stashed away. Oh, there's so much that they have that they don't display. Display, so that's pretty cool. It's a very good reference, and a lot of the images that I'll show are from the Louvre. Right. Museum. Now, going back to Osiris, uh, I guess you could say this feature, along with the association with fertility, mm-hmm. death, mm-hmm. rebirth, give him a close symbolic He's a one-stop connection. shop. Right, but it gives him that connection with the green man. That's right. That's exactly why I wanted to include Osiris, because it's, you know, what is the green man? What does he symbolize? Although we don't know originally what he was supposed to symbolize, this is what we think. And then we can tie him to all these earlier depictions be interesting if one day they found it on a cave. <laughs> sort of drawn on, you know, like cave days. That that just messes up. It's like, we don't even know what this is. But That would be awesome. You never know. You never know. You never know. Mm-hmm. They do have older depictions of, which we'll go over a little bit later, a Celtic god with horns. Right. Which they... no one really knows for sure what he is, but there is a connection. Okay, we'll, we'll try to keep on our timeline right. here. So why don't you go to... So right now, i got to go to ancient Greeks. Okay. The ancient Greeks and Phrygians... Yeah, I think it's Phrygia. Phrygia. Sure. Worshipped Attis, a god of vegetation. He was associated with Sybil, the great mother. She was later adopted by the Romans and Trojans. The followers of Attis were eunuchs. No action downstairs, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yep, yeah. yep. The self-mutilation... Death and resurrection of Attis represents the fruits of the earth which die in winter and are reborn in the spring. According to Ovid's Metamorphosis, Attis transformed himself into a pine tree. We clearly see a similarity between Attis and the green man with vegetation, rebirth, and trees. There we go. Mm-hmm. So he ended up being a tree. Mm-hmm. I don't have a, more information on that because I'm trying to stick specifically to common elements with the green man. Well, what ties all of them is rebirth and vegetation and the color. Yeah, it has to be nature and the life cycle. Yeah. Let's move on to ancient Greece and Rome. We've all heard of the god Dionysus or Bacchus, depending on whether you're Greek or Roman. He's the god of wine, fertility, ritual madness, and religious ecstasy. I love that combination. I never really thought of, I guess, growing up Catholic. I never thought of ecstasy. Well, if you go to some of the evangelical churches, born-again churches, they definitely try to emphasize the religious ecstasy. Oh, yeah, I could could see that. There are definitely some parallels with the green man. Dionysus represents death, life, and going wild. Right? They have that wild Wild side of nature. Wild and crazy guys. That's right. They're all wild (laughs) and crazy guys. And I'm just going to take this from Britannica.com because I thought it was a good description. Dionysus is a nature god of fruitfulness and vegetation, especially known as a god of wine and ecstasy. 
the occurrence of his name on a Linear B tablet from the 13th century BCE shows that he was already worshipped in the Mycenaean period. In all the legends of his cult, he is depicted as having a foreign origin. <laughs> He's not one of us, man. That yeah. guy's just too crazy. But they all say he comes from somewhere else. It's kind of like we didn't do it. Yeah, so how old is he? Right. If even ancient religions right. said, oh, we, we didn't start this, much of the imagery is the same. Dionysus is sometimes shown wearing leafy crowns, masks, or having vines and grapes in his hair. However, his face is not usually covered. Uh, I found a fantastic example that took me a long time to find of the great dish of Bacchus at the British Museum. And it's part of the Mildenhall treasure. If you're watching the video version of this podcast, you can see it. It's gorgeous. It's also known as the Oceanic dish or the Neptune dish. It has concentric circles and at the very center is the head of a marine deity, probably Oceanus the personification of the ocean. However, you'd swear it was the green man. His beard is made of seaweed, and it completely looks like what we imagine with the foliate heads, mm -hmm. except he has dolphins emerging from his hair. I guess it's the underwater equivalent of a hair pick. He's right. picking out his fro <laughs> with the dolphins, I guess. Yeah. He's surrounded by nereids or sea nymphs, tritons, and other mythological and natural sea creatures. It's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, while the outermost circles show his followers dancing and playing musical instruments and, of course, drinking and having a good time. It's interesting because we did see Oceanus in our trip to Rome when that the famous Mouth of Truth is actually the an old representation of Oceanus. I will show that on the video. You're right. And his hair is pretty crazy. Yeah, it is pretty crazy. He's got that crazy mouth and that It's that face. famous statue they have in the film Roman Holiday. Right where um, Gregory Peck teases Audrey Hepburn into putting her hand inside the mouth. Yeah. Yeah, that's Oceanus. And if you say the truth, you won't get bitten, but if, if you, you lie, tell he'll, a lie. He'll, bite your hand off. he'll bite your hand off. During the Gallo-Roman period, the Celtic corn god, Cernunos, was followed in northeastern Gaul which included France, Luxembourg, Belgium, most of Switzerland, and parts of Northern Italy, the Netherlands, and Germany. He was also worshipped by the Celt-Iberians and Portugal and Spain. Unfortunately, we don't have much information on Serenunos due to the lack of records. But lucky for us, there were wonderful artists. Lucky for the artists, or we wouldn't uh, know most of our own history. We have art and architecture, which I guess is art. Yeah. And, Functional uh, art. That's it. <laughs> Functional art. That's right. Okay. They depicted him with horns or antlers and sitting in a cross-legged position. They think he had something to do with nature, fertility, animalism, travel, and similar themes. No one knows for sure. He's associated with many animals like stags, horned serpents, dogs, bulls, and rats. Ah, rats. Ah, rats. To quote Charlie Brown. There is a wonderful image on the pillar of the boatman column, located today in the Musée National du Moyen-Âge, Museum of Middle Ages in Paris, France. I, like I probably that you butchered tried. it. No, but I like that you tried. I butchered it. I think it's Moyen-Âge. 
I, I'm not much better. Musée National. Na but it's quite fantastic, so I'll have a link to that, and it's very interesting to see because he's right at the top of the pillar. Mm -hmm. Now let's travel to ancient Mesopotamia. Hatra was an ancient city in Upper Mesopotamia located in present-day Iraq, northern Iraq to be specific. Hatra flourished in the second century and was destroyed and deserted in the third century. According to Wikipedia, Hatra became an important fortified frontier city and played an important role in the Second Parthian War, withstanding repeated attacks by the Roman Empire. During the second century CE, the city repulsed sieges by both Trajan and Septimus Severus. So very strong, big city. The ruins are gorgeous. I mention the city of Hatra because there is an incredible depiction of Green Man. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't think of that in Mesopotamia. So we're finding all these little references. But it's not like the Egyptians, as we mentioned, or Addis, or the Celts. This actually looks like a green man with leaves coming from his hair and his cheeks. It's interesting that you say that because when I think of the Middle East, well, I should say the Levant, I think of uh, just desert. That's So I think it yeah. shows it's an early, early reference before it was desert. Yeah. Uh, to have that really symbol old, and just, just to show the around. strength of the green man symbol which is what you know inspired this episode was really trying to find the origins and the roots right. and I, I huh, thought it roots. was <laughs> his roots yeah, go deep his roots go deep so why don't you kind of continue in the area with the Middle East yes there are a couple of notable references from the Middle East one is a man known as Kadir or the green one He's described in the Quran as a righteous servant of God with great wisdom and mystic knowledge, but he's not mentioned by name. I thought he was worth mentioning because according to Wikipedia, the name Al-Qadir shares the exact same root as the Arabic Al-Qadar or Al-Qadra, a root found in several Semitic languages meaning green or verdant. Therefore, the meaning of the name was traditionally been taken to be the green one. This is a quote from RoslandChapel.com. He is an Islamic immortal who is revered by Sufi mystics. In Islamic folklore, Moses or Musa makes a journey with a strange creature in green robes, but he is never described as being covered in leaves. We have on occasion been told that the interior of the Rosalind Chapel shows signs of Sufi symbolism. I thought that was quite interesting. That so in Roslyn Chapel, they see Sufi symbolism, which perhaps has a reference to Al-Qadir. Which isn't strange because there's been very many deep connections between, whether we want to believe it or not, Islam and Christianity. Mm -hmm. The other reference is a depiction of the green man at the Museum of Istanbul in Iraq. A giant leafy head sits at the top of a column, which is worth looking at. So there isn't too much to say about it, but again, mm -hmm. if you're watching our little mini documentary, uh, you can see the image there. Very interesting that it's always a man, not a well. I mean, there are also green women, but they're more rare. Interesting. And I was I did try to do many searches for green woman, but it just doesn't come up. Interesting. If I do find uh, several links, then I'll maybe put that as a separate section on this post. At the moment, I don't have enough to show. Okay. From the Middle East, let's go to Asia, 
where we'll find the, quote, glorious face instead of what we would call the foliate head. It's the name they give to a symbol of a fierce monster face with huge fangs and a gaping mouth. It's common in the iconography of Hindu temple architecture in India and Southeast Asia. It's used as an ornamental motif in art, just like our green man. And again, if you're watching the video version of our podcast, you'll see many incredible pictures of these faces, which to our eyes look like the green man motif. They're found in India, Indonesia, Nepal, Cambodia, and Thailand, just to name a few. So what do you think about that? They even have them all over Asia. So that's fascinating that they, they had that in Asia. As if you try to do just a general search, if you type in Green Man, mm-hmm. you get lots of things with England. Maybe right. some with Scotland. Nothing if you do a little, diggy on, a little digging, you'll find some on France. Because again, mm-hmm. remember, all those areas are still Celtic. I mean, Normandy and Brittany especially in so France Spain. are still, exactly, the Celtiberians in northern Portugal and Spain and Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, they seem to dominate the searches. That's what right. made me curious. I wanted to see. It's not just England. It exists prior to that. Right. And that's what led me on the search. And it's amazing to me to find these symbols in an Indonesian temple. In Iraq, you know. I wonder if it's... It blew my mind. I wonder if at some point many of these were like Titan-type gods. Like if you think of Oceanus... They have no idea what the origin is. It's like Dionysus. Everyone says, oh yeah, we worship him, but he's not from us. He's from somewhere else. Right, but you have Oceanus, which is water. Mm -hmm. You have the green man, which is foliage. Mm -hmm. And you have a glorious face. And I wonder if it was just maybe some god at some point that was very common that people sort of traveled around and passed it around i don't know well all of these symbols of course are universal right each culture developed its own gods to represent those themes Mm -hmm. what's interesting is this common image of the head with leaves growing out of it it's usually a circular pattern too which is could be square circle yeah but it's always the head the head yeah that's the the part that's kind of interesting to find it that far and it's funny because i i've seen as soon as you're describing you know the fangs and gaping mouth i i know that I can close my eyes. I can see that face. And even if you think of the, um, not just the leafy faces, but the ones where the vines are coming out of the nose and mouth. Right. It often does look like fangs. Yeah. Or giant nose hairs. (laughs) (laughs) I can't control my nose hairs. It's quite Anybody got some tweezers or some some scissors? The constant struggle to... uh... (laughs) Just keeps growing. (laughs) Like back to Oceanus with his uh, yeah. with his uh, water pick, water pick and, and dolphins for <laughs> his hair. Dolphins, exactly. But it 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 blew my mind just how I didn't realize in my initial searches how global. Yeah, I took the it as, symbol of the green man is. I took it as a Celtic thing. Nature is often depicted as a woman. Yeah, that's true. So to pick a green man is really kind of odd. When, you know, even in Greek mythology, you know, the sky was masculine and the land was feminine. And then all of a sudden you have this character running around that's nature. I guess he's a son of nature. He's a son of the earth. Right. It's unique in its ability to morph in meaning and significance over hundreds or even thousands of years. The symbol 
as eternal life, death, and rebirth. He seems to travel from place to place, smile, and blend in. His staying power is enviable. For every green man out there, there is a new interpretation of what it means. This has gone on for centuries. The green man truly is an eternal symbol of renewal and birth. To celebrate, everyone go out and find a pub called the Green Man, because there's probably one in your neighborhood, and order your favorite drink. I think our old friend the Green Man deserves a toast for surviving so long. If you want to do your own research, I have a copious amount of links available on our website. As a tip, I would recommend searching on Wikipedia in different languages. I accidentally came across this. And photos in one language are not always available in, in another. another. So if you look at the German word for green man, uh, the French, the Italian, the Portuguese, the English, mostly the same but a little different. So there's a lot more photographs available. And as I mentioned, the Louvre Museum has their collection online, and that's a great reference. Uh, you can look for anything and just be awed by the beauty in our shared history. The fantastically terrible character or creature this week is Melusine. Melusine is a feminine spirit that resembles a mermaid. She is popular in the folklore of northern France and Scotland. She lives in rivers and springs and other fresh waters and is sometimes featured with wings or one or two tails that could either be a serpent's or a fish tail. And you might be familiar with this symbol from your local Starbucks. Mm -hmm. There are quite a few stories about Melusine, but the most famous one revolves around the Lucinon family in France. One day, Count Raymondin of Poitiers was hunting in the forest and got lost. While trying to find his way out, he came upon a clearing with a beautiful pavilion and a gorgeous fountain in the middle where two handmaidens were tending to their lady. Raymondon was instantly smitten by the beautiful lady. They spent time together and he fell in love with her. He asked her to marry him, but she had one condition. There's always one condition in uh, these stories. Every Saturday... She was not to be disturbed by anyone, not him or any of his servants. Raymondin thought it was a bit odd, but not a deal-breaker. So he agreed and took Melusine and her ladies back to his castle. But Melusine did not need his money. She was a very wealthy woman, and she built him a splendid castle. Check and mate. After they married, Melusine and Raymondin had three sons. Each of them had a physical imperfection. Ramadan's brother thought all of this was very strange and suggested that they spy on Melusine and see what she did in the privacy of her bedroom on Saturdays. The following Saturday, they hid themselves in her bedroom to spy on her as she took her bath. Oh, brother, they got the shock of their lives. Where her legs normally appeared was a green serpent's tail. The brothers didn't know what to do. They were flipping out. Melusine was no slouch, and she sensed that she was being watched. She saw the two horrified spies, and she let out a horrible cry. 
Then she transformed into a dragon and flew out the castle window, never to be seen again. Quite a story. <laughs> My wife is really a serpent uh, mermaid who can transform into a dragon. She's a dragon lady. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for today. Seven Robots Fantastically Terrible. Podcast is by Miguel Guerra and Susie Diaz and written by Susie. We want to thank everyone for listening. If you enjoy our show and want to help support us, you don't need a dime. You are just a click away from bringing us a little bliss. If you haven't subscribed or followed us yet, please do. It helps us out with our statistics on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Honestly, we don't know what you think unless you let us know. So please like the episode or even leave a comment and say hello. We would love to hear from you. For more information on the episode, including links to everything we reference, please visit our website at www.7robots.com slash podcast. Remember to check out Ghost Metal, our free comic on Webtoon and now on Tapas. Read each week as we serve you bite-sized sci-fi and horror stories on a macabre menu of detestable delights. A new episode is up every Friday for your abhorrent amusement. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.